This is Storage Unpacked. Subscribe at storageunpacked.com. This is Chris Evans with a Storage Unpacked podcast, and I'm joined by Rick Kutzepal. Rick, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Chris? I'm pretty good, actually. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, now, you joined us on episode uh, 74, believe it or not, which was four years ago. Can you believe it? That's... Four years ago to talk about SCSI as part of your job at the SCSI Trade Association. And guess what? You're here to talk about that again. Uh, but before we get into that, do you want to give everybody just a quick reminder of who you are and uh, exactly what you do? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, my name is Rick Kutzpol. I'm a product planner in Broadcom's Data Center Solutions Group. I have product responsibilities within DCSG. I also uh, run our Drive Alliance program where we partner with key ecosystem partners um, to make sure we're aligned on roadmaps and trends and things like that. And then finally, I coordinate the majority of uh, storage standards within Broadcom. And that's where my role as uh, on the board of directors of the SCSI Trade Association comes in. Fantastic. So last time we uh, got together, we talked about 24 gig SAS, SAS4, all that sort of thing. And when we caught up at Flash Memory um, Summit, which was about what, four weeks ago now, I think, something like that, it was great. Obviously, it was great to catch up in person, but it was interesting to talk about some of the evolution since we met last time. Now, I sort of wanted to pick out some of the things around hyperscalers and high, hard drive adoption and standards and some of the features in the standards. But before we get to that, it might be worth just taking people through a little bit of an idea of the of the timeline of the protocol, which, you know, when you look at it, 6 gig SAS was about 2010. You were talking to us about 24 gig SAS. And now we're talking about something called 24 plus, aren't we? Yeah, that's right, Chris. So, um, so an update, 24 gig SAS is is in production right now. We have different partners, uh, customers developing products around it, um, a number of which have been announced um, and, and many, many more to come. And that ranges from traditional OEM server vendors to external storage vendors and also uh, hyperscale uh, customers. And then, like you said, then there's 24 gig plus, and that's kind of the next evolution of, of the SCSI protocol, um, leaving the physical layer at 24 gig, but then innovating on top of that with very unique features that are independent of the actual physical physical layer. Right, and why, why not go faster than 24 gig if it isn't really an obvious question? The quick and dirty answer is that the, you know, the end devices can't, can't go any faster than that, at least for now. And we also see that you know, there are alternatives you know, in the high performance area you know, with, with the likes of NVMe. Okay, you know that's a that's quite a, that's quite a, a fast speed to be pushing stuff through a device, and it costs time and energy to actually to do that. So it seems sort of logical that you wouldn't want to do that faster than is really capable. There's just no point in going faster if if you don't need it. Yeah, that's correct. And the investments in the physical layer are very very large, right? As as a lot of the ecosystem knows, and at 24 gig, uh, you know, with traditional PAM two thirties. Right, you're you're really close to the limit. You know, in 24 gig, we did implement a number of things on top of that 24 gig physical layer to help with that. You know, advanced transmitter training, also uh, forward error correction, you know, things like that. Right. One thing, just I, I just wanted to sort of touch on very briefly, and that's 
you know, people talk about NVMe and say, well, the world's just going to go NVMe. Why do we need to continue with SAS slash SATA or, you know, SAS in general and SCSI? In one respect, it seems like we should be still staying with it. But on the other hand, you could look at it and say, well, NVMe should be taking over. And I guess t for me, from a technical perspective, the one thing I look at and think is when I look at the way that devices are connected, PCIe NVMe connected devices are a bit closer to the processor, but they're on a, a fairly limited scaling I was going to call it a bus because it's not a bus, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas with SAS, it strikes me you have a lot more scalability that you could offer. That's a really good point. You know, when it comes to connecting one, you know, four drives, you know, NVMe is, is a very good solution, very efficient solution, tightly coupled. But the scalability beyond, you know, even a small number of drives, it starts to get very difficult very fast, especially if you're routing four lanes to every device. Um, and then the cost of the infrastructure to get outside of the box. And SAS handles all that natively within the SCSI protocol and the SAS physical layer. Um, and, and, you know, SAS can scale to hundreds and thousands of devices. And now, we'll talk about hyperscalers in a moment, but I, just to finish this little sort of section off, there is still a huge demand for these types of devices, and even more so in the hyperscale market, where everybody thinks that we're going to move away from SaaS and hard drives, and suddenly everything is going to be flash and NVMe. That's probably not a very fair um, reflection of the truth. And I think you had a graph that you showed as part of your presentation, which sort of showed the growth curve and the demand that we're seeing, continuing to see even from hyperscalers. Yeah, and in yeah, the numbers are growing actually uh, with the with the hyperscalers and their demand. You know, their the demand of capacity that's being placed on them with you know modern requirements. Um, the amount of capacity that they're being required to support is is huge, and so that's driving naturally you know the volume of HDDs. And the other thing to remember is that in the enterprise, you know, unlike other segments, there are no hockey sticks. Right, it's nothing's gonna nothing in a technology transition is gonna happen very quickly, and th these things take a really really long time. Do they happen? Yeah, yeah, they, they do happen. They happen for good reasons, but nothing happens, you know, at next year kind of thing. I know what you mean, and I think when we look at something that's an investment like technology, we put our data on, especially something that's being used for persistent data where actually justifying the cost of AIDS, you know, moving somewhere else or the actual time and effort to move somewhere else. All of those things are pretty tricky and they take a lot of a lot of thinking through. So it seems I always think that replacement and and, and transition in the storage world tends to be evolutionary rather than, shall we say, revolutionary, simply because, right. you know, people just don't want to take that risk. Yep, uh, completely agree. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so let's just talk about what's new in the, the protocol at 24 gig or 24 gig plus as I should now be calling it. When you and I were talking at Flash Memory Summit, I, I saw a rather lovely diagram which had sort of three layers on it, shall we call it, different colours. And that seemed to be a way you were using the setup to explain how the different parts of the SCSI protocol from the physical layer upwards all sort of interacts. So how how's things have things changed in 24 gig plus? So that slide is very important explaining the architecture of the SCSI protocol and how SAS fits in. SAS has a physical layer and then on top of it then are different layers. There's a protocol layer, there's a block layer, and in those layers that's where some of these new new features are coming. Things like um, support for shingled magnetic recording um, is a good example, right? right? And, and that is in production today, 
but it's now evolving into in you know to new things. Um, some people might call it um, dynamic hybrid SMR. There's a multi-actuator drives, right? That's okay. that, that's another big one, and how those are supported within the SCSI stack. SCSI natively or SAS natively handles you know multiple LUN architectures. Mapping a single LUN to a single actuator is a very logical thing. But then when you get into single LUN environments, whether it's with SATA or even single LUN SAS, then the SCSI protocol has to has to take that into account. Um, and that's right. and that's in the block layer. There's CDLs, command duration limits, right? This is something that uh, the SCSI uh, that T10 adopted from uh, Open Compute. Um, and this is, you know, this deals with the tail latencies of, of the HDDs in these very large data centers. So you can see there's a lot going on right, yeah, in that. Yeah. So let's imagine, and we, you know, if we were able, we can print that diagram because it might help people understand. We could put that on the website and just help them understand how these layers are sort of now, I guess, developed independently because you highlighted there that the, the higher layers don't need to necessarily evolve with the, the speed of the, the protocol. So this gives you the ability to be more, I'm going to use the word creative, but that's not really uh, probably the right word, probably more um, flexible, shall we say, to develop some of those other parts without needing to always have to increase the feature set with the speed set. And that's, I guess, what you're just implying there. Right. Agreed. Let's talk then about some of those details you just said, because there's a lot there and there's a lot of really quite complicated features, but some of them, I think, or if not all of them, perhaps are being driven by the hyperscalers who seem to be the ones that have the most, I guess, set of requirements for hard drives going forward. Do you think that's fair to say, or do you think that's just, you know, um, they've just been the, the noisiest in the market to be able to get what they want? That's a good question. Um, they're definitely driving it. But I believe a, you know, a lot of these features, these technologies will be used by the traditional OEMs in, within the, the traditional enterprise customers. Um, there are some that are very, very you know, optimized for data center, and data, I don't want to say data center workloads, data center environments. SMR is a good example. But technologies like multi-actuator and, you know, and some of these other ones um, could be very beneficial uh, within you know, the traditional enterprise. Mm. So things like command duration limits, I mean, that one to me seems pretty, shall we say, hyperscalerish in the sense that I'm, I'm assuming what, we, what that says is that you want the ability for a command to time out. So basically, if you issue a command, you don't get a response, you want something back that says didn't do it or you, 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 fail, you fail that response rather than continue to wait for it. Because I know that hyperscale environments, long tail latency is a big problem for them. So they'd rather just deal with it another way. Right. And... You know, furthermore, they could issue multiple commands and then, you know, watch the time limits and whichever one reports back first, then you fail the other ones. And that really contains that, that what, like you refer to as the tail latency. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? To say you, people wouldn't probably think about that level of detail in, in the way that you program to devices these days, that in actual fact, you may have the data in multiple places. So you, you throw out the request multiple times and then you whichever one comes back first you'll deal with that because that's the way you improve your your performance correct it's quite an interesting sort of it's a different way of looking at it that perhaps the hyperscalers have pushed further than other people have done mm -hmm. yep. okay and the two others i think i saw on the, on the defined features in this was the idea of format with presets and logical depopulation so they sound pretty technical format with presets i guess that's around formatting drives ahead of time yeah, and so that, that gets folded into what I was referring to as ev the evolution of SMR, 
right? Nice. Hi hybrid SMR, some people refer to it as. And so format with preset is just is just what it's called in, in T, within T10. Um, and that is an interesting concept, right? To be able to format a drive either as, you know, how you need it, whether it's CMR, whether it's SMR, whether it's a mix, right? And, and that would give the customer uh, more flexibility on the, on the front end. So I imagine the sort of scenarios I can see that working is where perhaps somebody just buys thousands of drives or tens of thousands of drives without really a clear indication of what they intend to use it for on the floor. But they want the option when they get it to think, well, actually, we're going to use it for this task, so we'll format it up this way. And it, it means you're not tied to having to think to buy two sets of different drives in different configurations. Right. No, exactly. And and so that, you know, that can be a big, you know, OPEX savings, right? I mean, that, that that's yeah. a big deal, you know, because when we're talking about formatting these drives, you know, if you format it in an SMR mode, then you can get, you know, upwards of 10% more capacity out of that same drive, right? So very, right. very efficient in the deployment of, of that resource. Mm. I think this seems to be uh, quite a, a sort of a theme across a lot of the development of new technologies. Um, I wouldn't ask you to comment on the um, the flash side of things but you know we see similar sorts of ideas of how we make this stuff more efficient how we reduce the costs again very much a hyperscaler thing but i think with significant applicability to the enterprise right no, agreed so what about logical depopulation explain that one to me yeah, this this is an interesting one and this is this has actually um been around for a while it's been worked on within t10 for for quite some time but it is, it is the, the standard is ratified. And this is the concept of, it started with a very similar concept to uh, CDLs where it dealt with these tail latencies, right? So if you have a head or a platter in a drive that is requiring more correctable errors, then you incur latency within, within your system. And so if yeah. there's a specific part of a drive, a head or a platter that's causing this in, you know, in the old days, right, old days, um, today they would just remove the drive, and that means yeah. you have to have replacement drives. You have to have, you know, you have to be over provisioned, if you will, in your data center with drives, and that's very expensive, and it's very inefficient. If, if you can isolate those errors, those, you know, that that group of correctable errors to a head or a platter, then you can, you know, use Depop to be able to remove that platter from the logical disk. Um, and move and move the usable data to either another platter or another disk, and then keep running. And it's all you know, it's all while the data center is up and running. Nothing has to get shut down. No, nobody has to go into the data center to swap out the drive. So, like I said, it began with a, as a, a means to control these latencies, but mm -hmm. it, is, it, is, it has evolved into even now a capex and opex uh, type exercise as well. So that one's interesting simply because it hits a lot of the things that I've seen over the years in terms of how you, you manage systems. So for instance, as an ex example, we would price up when we, we were designing systems the cost of a slot. So we would decide a slot costs a certain amount in terms of our overall TCO. So obviously we try and get as, as high a level of density as we could do within that slot. But obviously, if a drive fails on that slot, that's now uh, an, an unused slot, if you like, until that drive's replaced. So being able to keep that drive active for longer 
in that environment, first of all, would reduce the risk of having to swap it. Second of all, would keep that slot in use whilst we're fixing that problem. And generally would just make the whole maintenance side of that a lot more efficient. Right. So I think seeing that coming into, say, an enterprise model would still be useful because just to say, imagine one platter goes out of nine, you're only losing sort of 11% of that drive potentially. That's that's still a large amount of um, capacity. And if you're not already full on that drive in the first place, then it's not like you've actually got an issue until you get to the capacity level of that drive that you need to use that platter that failed. So there's lots of good reasons why this could actually be incredibly uh, efficient in terms of the way you, you maintain and manage your data centers, especially when you've got thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of drives. And I think that one, I think for me, is you know one of the most interesting ones. Yeah, you know, it, it's the scale. If you have one drive or two drives, right, it's, it's a very manageable problem. Um, but when you have a data center with, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of drives, right, that's when it becomes something like this becomes very important. And back to our conversation on on the architecture of the SCSI stack, just for reference, repurposing Depop was documented and standardized in the, the block. So we call it SPC. So the SCSI, right. SCSI, yep. SCSI block commands also did touch uh, ZBC. So that's zone block commands. So in ZBC2. And then, then, of course, we have to do the ATA translation. So we have to translate between ATA and SCSI. And so that's in SAT5. So, so it goes across, across yeah. the po all of the, the different standards. Yes, yes. Hmm. Okay. I think, you know, the scale thing is, is exactly the scenario you have to think about. Until you've actually run a large data center, you don't realize that device failure is normal operation. You know, drives fail every day, every week, depending on how big you are. And you just have to translate that to being a regular occurrence because that's what it is. You know, it, right. happens, it, it just happens as part of normal operation. Failure is a, is a normal thing. Having, having said that, minimizing that, minimizing the impact of what happens when you have to repair things is actually the, the key piece. So a very interesting one. I think that's got applicability in lots of different places. So there are some other features uh, just as we finish up on the feature side of things, there's some other features here that seem quite interesting, but haven't necessarily been included yet. They're sort of features under consideration. I saw some interesting ones about things like um, key management and keys per IO and things like that. Some that potentially could be very interesting, but also very, very um, challenging to implement. Yeah. So looking forward, there's still plenty of innovation, you know, out there. Um, and, and you mentioned a couple, right, with key per IO, that's actually, you know, with the growing interest in security and concerns around security, Keeper.io, especially in these larger data centers, um, could become could become a very interesting uh, interesting topic, and it's being discussed. You know, we're also looking at fairness enhancements. You know, so in these large topologies, in these ex large expander topologies, right? How do you make sure that you know there's a level of fairness or quality of service, um, if if you want to use that term? within this architecture. Uh, we did add fairness into into 24 gig, but um, we're also now looking at advancements in fairness to, to make it even even better. Right, and that's fairness in the sense of, I guess, from the, the host to the device or the devices rather than within a device. That's uh, Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's more about making sure that you get a consistency of IO across all the devices that might be connected. So that's a scalability challenge. Yep. I think the key value or the key per IO one is interesting because 
if you look at the way that people want to do um, or want to manage their data these days, being able to not write a single I.O. with every, with a different key every time, which would be like a management nightmare, it would be actually horrendous. But, but to think that I might want to group a set of I.O.s together using a single key would allow me potentially to say that I could protect a certain area of a drive with a certain key, another area of a drive with a certain key, and I could tie that to a customer perhaps, or I could tie it to a system, or I could tie it to you know something within my application, which allows me to add a degree of additional security without necessarily um, having to have separate drives or separate infrastructure to make that work. Yep. And I thought that, I think that, that would be where I think I would use that. Yeah, no, and, and you know it's still still very early, um, and a lot of work's going on. Mm, okay, so in terms of the features that are going uh, and when this is going to come out, because we talked about, I'm going to have a look back at my list. We talked about in 2018 about SAS four being due at the time. Uh, you said that's now implemented all out there, uh, 24 gig. That's yep. all all available. Yes. What about the 24 gig plus? I think I've got a date of 2025 written down. Um, are we a bit ahead of ourselves? No, and so it's gonna it will come out in pieces, right? As we get demands from our hyperscale customers, from our OEM customers, because of this architecture, we the SCSI architecture that we were talking about, there it does give us that flexibility that you referred to earlier, and so we can go and implement some of not all some of these features intermittently, and um, and then you know, get them up and running, test them with our partners, and then deploy them. It's, since it's not tied to a physical layer, it's not going to be one big milestone in 25, one big milestone in 30, things like that. It's going it, to, right. it'll come out, you know, incrementally on okay. top of that same physical layer. The physical layer is definitely, you know, the big thing, the big rock to move. And now that that's staying still, these other features can come out. Now, Sometimes there are there are hardware implications, and you know they will have to come out you know at certain milestones. But for for most of them, they can you know they'll be coming out you know as we speak. Okay, and how how will that actually manifest itself in terms of the the drives and the controllers? Will we see firmware updates to the drives and the controllers, or or does that tend to be sort of baked in when those devices are actually manufactured? No, oh, no, they'll so they'll be you know they'll come out in firmware releases. At Broadcom, right, we release firmware on a quarterly basis. Most customers lock in at a certain position, mm -hmm. um, and then when a certain a new feature comes along, then they make you know they'll go ahead then for you know four phases, if you will, or you know to that next group to implement that next feature. Right. Okay. So we can expect to see that sort of rollout within an existing infrastructure. That's correct. Effectively. Correct. Brilliant. Okay. Right. I think, you know, we, we, it seems like we've covered pretty much everything I was hoping we would talk about. You know, from my perspective, I do see, as I think I said at the very beginning, a lot of these features being very hyperscaler related. And I think that's a very interesting sort of e evolution of our market that, you know, they're, I guess they've got the engineering depth and skills to be able to come back to, um, to you and ask for these sort of features. So it's probably not a surprise that we're seeing it coming from that area of the market. Agreed. Um, and probably that's where we're likely to see it come, you know, going forward. Not to say that we wouldn't expect it from system manufacturers, but it seems to be that from from my perspective, that that's where we're seeing. Um, if people wanted to find out more about uh, SCSI Trade Association, understand more about the protocols, that sort of thing, what's the best uh, place for us to push them towards? Um, so they can, you know, probably the best resource is the SCSI Trade Association. Yeah. Um, and our, and um, you can go to our website at uh, www 
www.scuzzyta.org. Okay. Brilliant. I'll put that up online on our um, show notes so everybody can find it. And, and what should we expect in terms of stuff coming up? Will we have lots to talk about this time next year when we come back, to, you know, when we meet up again at Flash Memory Summit, do you think? I think we will, right? Uh, with with these new features on the horizon that T10 is working on, um, I, I think there will be uh, a very valid update in a year. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Rick. It's been great to catch up. I appreciate your time. For now, thanks very much, and uh, let's see what happens next year. But All for right. now, thanks. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to Storage Unpacked. For show notes and more, subscribe at storageunpacked.com. Follow us on Twitter at Storage Unpacked or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Storage Unpacked Podcast. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.